Hello, welcome back to the Pastor Talk podcast. We are glad that you continue with us during this Lenten season as we study the Enneagram together. We have been traveling this road for a while now, and as we continue along in the conversation, uh, we are now moving into a new phase. Last time we talked about integration, about the ways in which the different numbers move forward towards healthier cells. And now today we pick up ways in which we can engage in that process in more intentional ways. Thinking about how as we practice the Enneagram and it is a mirror for us, how it reveals to us truth about who we are, we also look to the Enneagram as a form of map, a form of uh, a descriptor of a path forward. And here as we turn to this conversation today, we recognize that as you look at a map, it invites you to take certain actions, to take this route as opposed to this route, to tack along this place because it's going to be easier, because it's going to be better. And as we look here towards the Enneagram and we start thinking about what it looks like to move toward wholeness, we start to engage how we can be active in the process of formation. Yeah, I think in some ways this might be the most practical application we've gotten into yet. A lot of what we've done has been about understanding the Enneagram, maybe getting a, a feel for the flow. But today we want to talk about some practical things that each of us can do. Maybe you followed along, maybe you're feeling pretty comfortable with the idea you're a type. Maybe in the conversations about the the unhealthy and the healthy application of your type, you've run into some things and thought, I'd, I probably have some growing to do. And the Enneagram, I think, is helpful there because it gives us some very concrete suggestions about the things our number, our type, can do to try to move toward that wholeness. And again, we often borrow these things from other types. They have some things that are good for us. And I think in some ways, Michael, this will be the most practical we've been and, and the least theoretical. This We're hoping in the next two weeks, you come out of this discussion with some things that you can put into practice that are designed by the Enneagram to help you move toward that number that represents a, a, a more holistic and a more balanced life for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's maybe worth pausing here to just clarify as we had to make some schedule changes with all of the cancellations. We are now on a Wednesday release schedule. So last Wednesday we released the podcast and then we'll have the next release a week from the publication of this podcast. And we're going to make this a two-part conversation. We're going to try to really dig deep into all of the nine types. And so in order to do that, we just decided Let's split this over two weeks. So you're going to hear half of those types this week. And if your type wasn't in the mix in this conversation, stay tuned. Um, the next podcast release will have the rest of them included. Yeah, and I think you still get a sense of how the Enneagram works. Even say you're a seven, so we won't get to that until next week. I think listening in on this still is good information. I mean, there's a sense in which some of what it looks to be healthy for any of us is what it looks like to be healthy for all of us, to, to be patient, to be generous, to be kind. I mean, those are good things for everyone. But I think in listening into some of the suggestions for others, w there will be something we can all learn. So we hope that even if we don't get to your number today, you'll hang in there, you'll listen. If we get to your number today, tune in next week as well, because we think there's something to be found 
in all of that. They really do represent a path forward of what it means to be healthy. One quick note there, Clint. I would just say that this is really in some ways a generative moment to be practicing these things. And in other ways, this is a very difficult moment yeah. to be practicing these things. And both of these realities really need to be held in tension. I think you need to have a lot of patience with yourself right now. I'll just be honest, this idea of disintegration that we did a couple weeks ago, this is the disintegration moment. That this high stress, high anxiety, lots of really difficult conversations happening and people who are really struggling. This is a tough time on one hand to really try to live into your best self, to live into this healthy, integrated self. So these practices you might find to be incredibly difficult right now. And if that is how you find them, the invitation is grace, is to practice grace with yourself and grace with others and to recognize that it's Christ's power within us which redeems and restores us, not our own action. I think that needs said. And I think the other thing that needs said is, in another way, there's really no better time to practice these things. If you're stuck in your house right now and you are struggling with Maybe it's everything from boredom to extreme anxiety. Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, this might be the exact right time to do some contemplative prayer, to, to thoughtfully journal, to maybe write a letter of reconciliation or to make a phone call to a person who needs address. Whatever these action steps we talk about today, this may be the perfect time to live them out. And so the invitation, I think, for all of us is to just be very thoughtful and careful and full of grace as we seek to do this in this time. Yeah, maybe the hardest time to grow is a time of stress, but in also, in, in some other ways, that's also the most opportune time. So let's jump in. And, and again, if you ever have questions about these things, give us a call, send us an email. We'd love to visit with you about them. But let's start with type number one. Michael, remind us about one's integration. Where does What does one look like at, at their healthiest. Yeah, so you've got to remember the one's temptation is to tightly control their world, to make it perfect, to achieve the highest ideal. And so the one, to be very, very broad, um, maybe even a little oversimplistic, is the one needs to let go a little bit. The one needs to recognize that there's more to life than the structure that the one lives within, that they feel forced into this sort of pressure cooker experience. The one needs to go to seven, to the experiential, to the live by the seat of your pants, by the, the, the willingness to live and thrive and exist in a kind of very vital life experience. The, the one moves to this place of freedom, this place of joy, this, this place of unrestrainedness. And um, in doing so, they start to uncover the freer side of their number. Yeah, so for the one, it's all about silencing that inner critic. Remember that the one lives with that voice that's constantly worried about being wrong or not getting it right. And so for the one, the seven represents the opportunity to let some of that fade into the background. I, I used to be a competitive archer, bows and arrows, that kind of thing. And there's a thing that happens um, as people progress. Some people face what they call target panic. And target panic means, um, and this isn't beginners, this generally happens to fairly successful archers, or at least people who have gotten fairly good. What happens is an archer gets the bow drawn and then it's, they call it target panic. They can't let go. 
if they're using their fingers, they can't let go if they're using a release. They're afraid, and, and essentially they're afraid to miss. Mm -hmm. And so one of the more interesting ways to treat target panic is to miss on purpose. You pull the bow back, you point it away from the target, you let it go, and you learn the worst thing that happened was I missed. And that's the sense here for a one. If they can let go of that fear of being wrong and embody some of that, um, that fearlessness of the seven. So how do they do that? Well, here's some ideas that might help. So because a one hears that critic at the emotional level, one suggestion is to journal those things. When a one encounters, uh, I could have done that better. Write down why you think that might be true. Oh, I don't think they were happy with that presentation. Write those things down. And what happens is that gives you the opportunity to evaluate those things later when the emotion is kind of out of it and you realize, no, I, I did pretty well. Or as it turned out, looking back, that ended up being pretty good. And, and the result was positive. And it allows the one to have a more... Um, balanced and a less pessimistic view of some of their things. Ones need to learn that they do things really well, but they're always worried about the one thing they don't. They'll get 99 things right and one thing wrong, and they're obsessed about the one, and so the, the thing they got wrong. And so if they write that down, I think they can get a sense of, hey, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, the one's task should be actively and intentionally separating from that inner critic. In other words, that inner critic that is always criticizing you is not you. The inner critic who you hear always working against you, always putting down and, and, and essentially putting you in a box, that critic is a voice other than your own. So you could journal that. Others will make the recommendation, you should talk back. In other words, to create that separation to say, no, you know, I hear that criticism, but the truth is. In other words, you can stand up even within your own psyche and you can defend yourself. You can remind yourself, no, 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 that I am giving in to the critic right now instead of being thoughtful about it. So I think whether you do that through journaling, you could do that through literally just, you know, mentally talking back. You could also do that in conversation with someone that you trusted. You could maybe a spiritual director or maybe even just a, a family member, a sibling maybe who you trusted and had a good relationship with. You could reveal, I have found myself criticizing myself for this, and you could allow their voice to engage that as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Michael. Because ones inherited that voice early in life, they often grew up with it. They never engaged it. They were directed by it, but they never stood up to it. And so the idea of talking back to that critic and saying, you know, that's your opinion, or yeah, okay, I'll think about that later, it could be really freeing for a one. A another practice that a one can develop, and this one could be a struggle, but compliment people who did something well, even if you expected it, even if they didn't do it as well as you would have done it, and that may in fact be true, but be on the lookout for things that others did and, and finished and did pretty well and make it a regular practice to compliment them because the one is always evaluating those things, looking for what's wrong. 
And it helps to spin that around and say, you know what? I'm going to give out 10 compliments today. I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure I tell my coworker that they did a great job yesterday. And, and for a one, that is a, a positive approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. One strategy here is to engage with that voice that you have to also, as you're saying, Clint, externalize that grace in a meaningful way. I think another thing that the one needs to be mindful of is a negative relationship with anger. You have built structures in your life for the absolute and continued avoidance of it. This idea that this feeling that you have is a feeling that uh, you cannot show. And so I think one thing you need to be mindful of is you have to recognize moments in which you feel that pressure cooker experience and you have to actively let the pressure out. You have to disengage it. And one way of doing that, Clint, is to ask the question, why am I angry? Mm -hmm. What is underneath this? And asking that question, as simple as that might sound, is actually an invitation for you to disarm that experience because you'll recognize that even if you allow yourself to go into what you might consider the darker parts of your person, you're going to find that Christ is already waiting there for you. I think a good question for a one in regard to anger, but maybe just in general, is, is this important? Is it important that I be upset right now? Or is this task important? You know, the wonderful trait of a one is that they bring their best to everything they do, but they experience that often as pressure. And so for a one, to almost make a list and prioritize it, it's really important that I do this well. This thing just needs done. I, I don't have to put my full energy into this. It's just a task I need to cross off the list. Ones often don't think like that, and it can be helpful to learn that not everything has to be perfect. Not everything is going to be perfect. And, and for a one to be able to say, okay, I have 10 things on my list, five of them I really want to do well. Five of them, I just need to get them finished. It, it's okay if they're not 100%. A B is, is just fine in this situation. And, and that's a, that can be freeing. It'll be really hard at first, you ones. You're going to struggle with that. That's where I think writing those things down and prioritizing can help. But it's okay that some things aren't going to be perfect. Not everything needs to be. And, and none of us expect that from anyone else. Yeah, so I suspect that for many ones, freedom will feel like anarchy. The idea that when you step into freedom, suddenly it feels like there's no rules and everything's gone crazy. That you're suddenly stepped into Alice in Wonderland and, and everything is uncomfortable. The truth is, nobody expects for you to go from where you are today to a flaming seven. In fact, that's not even what the Enneagram is asking. The Enneagram, Nor should you. No, exactly. Yeah. The Enneagram isn't asking you to suddenly throw caution to the wind and just um, jump out of a plane and skydive. What the Enneagram is talking about is living into a freer way of, of living within yourself and with others. And so I think one thing that you should be mindful of is who are your friends and how do you structure your downtime? Do you have a hobby that allows, that gives you the freedom to fail? Or if not to fail, to perform at a level that is 
entirely defined by your enjoyment of, of it as opposed to the production that was done. So if you're someone who is interested in working out, are you working out so that you can be perfect and your diet is perfectly structured? Or are you just doing that because it makes you feel good and it's with people that you enjoy? Do you plan things that live into a flexible reality or do you always force it into a structure? I, I think we should be mindful of doing that intentionally instead of letting it happen to us. Yeah, and I think ones, especially those of you who have a nine wing, have a tendency to be either on or off. You really have level one and you have level 10 and you struggle to find much in between. So this idea of trying something that you know you won't be the best at or you, you won't be great at, pick up an instrument, start playing the piano, get an old guitar, um, learn a new game, take up chess, something that you're never going to master. Golf is a great example. And and just try to enjoy doing the thing for the thing itself and not for the idea of mastering or perfecting the thing. That can be really helpful to a one. Yeah, and ones, it may be good for you to sit down, and this would be easy to do with just a piece of paper. Sit down with a pen and paper and write down all of the stuff that you have not finished yet. All of that stuff that's living in your mind space that you feel guilty about, the stuff, the projects that you started, the projects you're thinking about starting and you have files somewhere with all of that info and, and be ruthless in going through that and determine the stuff you're gonna finish and determine the stuff you're gonna give your grace, self-grace to not finish. And realistically, ones need to recognize that your temptation is to not finish stuff because it won't meet your standard. And towards what you're saying, Clint, wouldn't you say the way for a one to move forward is to either say, I'm not going to do it, or to say, I am going to do it, and I'm okay with it not being perfect. Yeah, yeah, I, and which is a very much a struggle for ones. But, and, and the idea is for a one to learn some grace for themselves, to learn a way to manage their drive that allows them some freedom, some enjoyment. Because when you're wrapped around this idea of perfection, it's very hard to enjoy what you're doing, even what you're likely doing extremely well. But it's hard to find satisfaction in it because it always feels like pressure. And what the Enneagram hopes is a way forward for you that frees you for some of the joy that comes with the competency and the skills that you definitely possess as a one. Yeah, and what ones might find refreshing is to become aware that not everyone has the critic that you experience. The one might find it very freeing to realize that if you are willing to extend grace to other people and look from their perspective at your life, you might just find that they have not been holding you to that standard all along. And so I think those practices of journaling, practices of engaging in conversation with people intentionally, of trying, you know, these hobbies would be a great place to do some of this work and to just outright say, say you're cycling with a group of people, say, hey, my goal is not to get the best time I've ever had today. It's to hang out with people and to enjoy being here. And even just saying that for a one may be a step to healing. Yeah, I don't think anyone is harder on ones than they are themselves and so 
hopefully with a couple of these practices, you might learn to give yourself a little grace. You certainly deserve it. That takes us to type two. Yeah, so twos move to four. Um, remember that movement of positive for the two is toward four. And, and twos, I think they're really interesting, Michael, because they're essentially already doing the thing they need to do to be healthy. They just need to practice it for themselves. Twos are so busy caring and putting passion and energy out to other people. They're already good at those skills. They just rarely let themselves practice them personally, back back to themselves. And so um, in, in some ways, the two doesn't need to change what they do, but maybe more so how they do it. Right. The really very difficult spot that twos find themselves is they are engaging in practices of help and care. But they are doing that not just because they want to be helpful, but because the idea of being the helper has taken over as their identity. And so twos need to start practices that require separating from those outward practices and who you are. And I hate to say it, but a lot of the twos practices need to look like creative and intentional systems of saying no. Yeah. And, and not just no to others who ask you to do things, though that will be incredibly difficult for it too, but also saying no to things you want to do. Ways that you want to reach out and help. That's not to say that some things are worth doing and you should do them, but the two is always going to overestimate their bandwidth to help in a healthy way. And so you have to say no to others and you have to say no to your own impulses. Right, ones and twos share a similarity in that the things they hide behind are generally positive. So the one gets everything done and done really well. Nobody's going to be concerned about that. Right. The two is out there caring for people, meeting people's needs. No one is going to be very worried about a two. And yet a two is often not very in touch with themselves. And so that's where the, the gift of the four is that that sense of self-honesty, mm -hmm. self-awareness and reflection. And the two, if they can admit, if they can face that temptation they have to hide themselves behind the good that they're doing and do good, but maybe not for good reasons at times, then I think they're set free to, to truly do good for good reasons and enjoy doing it instead of feeling captured by it instead of the scorekeeping instead of all the stuff that can that can hamper them and hinder them they can live into enjoying it you know i think a thing that twos might find helpful would be to create a journal where you record some of your daily interactions sort of create a seismograph of your emotional connections to people, and this is what I mean by that. A two is just living in a kind of relational, emotional amplitude that others don't recognize. So when someone speaks curtly to you in the uh, checkout line at Hy-Vee, 
you might take that as a personal affront at someone being aggressive with you. And what you don't realize is they were just having a bad day and they were being curt. One way that a two can start engaging in this practice of separating from self and feeling is to literally write that down. Today I was at High V engaging with this person. I felt attacked by them. But I wonder if I was. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was this, Lord, I pray for them that you're with them on this day. And, and in practices of reflection, twos are then able to recognize that other people being upset with you is not the same as them attacking you. It's not the same as them devaluing you because you are not connected to other people's emotions. You are a distinct person, a beloved child of God. So that could be journaling. Quite frankly, that could just be a time of prayer. That could be reading through the Psalms and inserting your name in that and hearing those promises as your own. But you should intentionally be working towards the separation between what others sort of reflect to you and what you think that means. Yeah, so, so twos have, I think, a, a couple of struggles that make some of this difficult. Twos, and there's no value judgment in this, you have a tendency to make things about you. And secondly, twos have a difficulty distinguishing between their emotions and their perception of others' emotions. So what, what does that look like? It looks like the two driving down the road and they recognize somebody who doesn't wave at them. And by the time the two gets home, they have this scenario in their mind where they must have said or done something to make the person angry and the, the person didn't wave at them on purpose because they're upset. When in reality, that person had their kids screaming in their van and they didn't see them. But, but the two lives with this narrative of it, it's about me and I must have done something. They're always quick to take blame even when there's no blame to take and so one of the questions for a two has to always be is this really about the other person or is it about me a am i genuinely concerned about this person or am i worried that they're upset with me or that i've done something and if a two can begin to explore that question it's going to be a difficult road but it's going to lead them to a good place. They're going to be able to differentiate and say, oh yeah, that person didn't wave at me. Huh, they must have been having a bad day. I should see if there's something I could do to help them. I, it, it frees them up, again, to do what they already want to do, but to do it without the baggage that goes with it. Yeah, and part of that baggage, Clint, is thinking that I have to do something so that I can be something. And a tool to help every two is to live into the promise of anonymity. There is a great gift in people not knowing that you were the one that helped. And quite frankly, church is a great place. Uh, we can really be helpful in engaging that. Now, in a couple of ways I can think. One would be coming to the church and saying, how can I help? As opposed to, here's what I'm going to do. There's a real spiritual practice where twos can practice letting others set that conversation and then deciding if they are going to engage it or not. Oh, okay, that's the need. I'm not really in a place I can help with that right now. That's actually a great way to say no. 
but then also to let someone else lead and let the two not create problems that they need to solve because that's not really about solving the problem. It's about identifying yourself as the helper. The other thing is this. Come to the church and say, you know, I really want to help. And then give that help anonymously. That happens all the time. Hey, here's a meal for this family. Here's a, I, I know that this family has need and here's a check so that their kid can go on the mission trip. This stuff happens all the time where we can then say a member of the church has done this because they wanted to love and care for you. That is unbelievably helpful and meaningful for those who receive it. And for the one who gives it, it's a reminder it was never about you. Hmm. The anonymity in that gives you a free space to separate so that you can live into the reality of who you're called to be and not what you've practiced needing to be. Yeah, and, and especially that temptation for the two to keep score and let people know I did something for them with the negative idea that they now owe me. Doing those things anonymously will help you get off that treadmill. Uh, in regard to saying no, uh, this is an important skill for twos and brutally difficult because a two wants to tell everyone yes. I read an article years ago about a, a seminary professor who kept a, um, well, he was renowned for his prayer life, and so he kept a prayer list. And someone at once asked for a person to be put on his prayer list, and his response was really interesting. He said, it's full right now, but when one of those concerns comes off, I'll let you know, and I'll put them on there. And, and his idea was he could give legitimate effort and bandwidth to a given number of prayer requests. And those were really, that it was that many that he could do well, he felt. And I wonder if a similar concept is helpful for twos, to make a list of five or ten things that I can help with right now. Maybe it's only three, maybe it's two, whatever the number is. But then realize that's my limit. That's, that's all I can bring my best self right now. I, I can't do a hundred other things. I'm going to have to tell someone, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that right now, but I, I would love to help you down the road and, and I'll be back in touch with you or whatever that looks like. But twos, it's, it's not only okay for you to say no, um, it may be necessary for you to, to enjoy and to be healthy in, in what you're doing. Another really concrete way that a two can say no is by saying no to new calendar, calendar entries. We are in a present moment where lots of stuff has gotten wiped off the calendar. And you know what? When stuff starts getting put back on, because it's only a matter of time when life starts ramping back up, twos might be able to use this as an opportunity to not put some things back on your list. Uh, maybe you should practice this idea of Sabbath, setting aside time. Maybe that's even just one day a week, but that day of the week is holy. It is set apart. It is time for you to commune with your maker, your creator, your father, and it's not for you to be out serving. Even Jesus went to the mountaintop to pray. You need to recognize that helping, the practice of helping, needs to have moments of stopping. And you can literally reflect that by putting an X on your calendar, 
by marking stuff off and saying, no, this time is set aside. And when someone asks, hey, can you do this? You can legitimately say, sorry, my calendar's full that day. Yeah. And, and a word of encouragement to twos, as you say that, Michael, we're in a moment where twos are vitally important. <laughs> you know, nines are in their house thinking, oh, this quarantine stuff isn't so bad. And, and uh, sixes are worried about the end of the world and fours are taking naps and just overwhelmed by the whole thing. Twos are creatively thinking about maintaining relationships right now. Twos are calling shut-ins. Twos are checking with people to see if they need anything. Twos, you are a wonderful gift to the rest of us right now, but it also means you're tempted to overdo it. And so this idea of balance, of limits, um, is going to be really, really important for you guys as you grow. That leads us then, I think, to type three. And threes are, as we talked about, those individuals who are really drawn to the idea of putting out in front of others the image that the three thinks that they want to see. The three then needs in a, move, in a movement towards health to go towards the six, towards that grounded, principled person uh, to invest their life in some things that matter and not things that are performances. And so I think one of the really difficult things for a three to do is to slow down long enough to, to get off of the treadmill of life and to pause so that you can engage those deeper things. They're just different practices essentially of slowing down so that you can finally engage the you that is there and in getting there, you can identify that you're more than just the thing that you project to others. You actually have a principled, grounded soul from which to live your life. Yeah, I think in some ways the threes have the most difficult time of facing their own stuff because they're the least in touch with it. They have the, the most ways that they cover up that sense of their own... Um, their own needs, their own lack. And because a three is motivated from this essential fear that there's either no one at their core or they don't know who's there, they've developed so many ways to get out and not look at that, to, to run away from that. I think it is a really difficult, maybe even painful moment for a three to turn themselves toward growing and begin to um, undertake some of the practices that lead toward health for them. That's, it's a tough awakening for threes. Yeah, I think one of the ways in which a three moves toward six is by practicing this idea of trust. Threes are trusting only to the extent at which they feel like someone or something is going to advance them down the road of success. And threes need to recognize that sometimes the right thing to do is to throw your whole weight behind something because it's right, because it's good. And likely, my limited experience of life tells me that often the principled stand is not the efficient stand. That oftentimes when you get behind uh, maybe it's a local nonprofit. Maybe it's going to be right now in this moment. You really get behind 
the food deliveries happening in the community or you really get behind calling shut-ins and you recognize, hey, I could make a calling system that called all the shut-ins for me. That would be way more efficient and I could be successful and pass it on to 20 other communities. Instead of that, recognize, no, just trust the volunteer coordinators, get the four names that they give you, call them and be faithful with it. And that in itself, that practice of being less efficient, being less driven, just simply trusting the systems and processes and people, that is a spiritual practice of healthiness for a three. Yeah, I think like the two, the three wants to impress people. They're more selective. They have a, a smaller field perhaps. But because it's external, because a three is motivated by outside people, one of the turns toward health for a three has to be focusing on self. And I think this is the moment of, of kind of, you know, fish or cut bait for a three. Are they willing to turn inward for maybe even moments at first? Um, silence extremely difficult for a three to silence that busyness around them and to spend some time in solitude to again be able or or begin to be able to listen for that inner voice because the three is always listening for the outer voice to direct them and they've not developed a very attuned ear to their own their own heart and so some moments of shutting down and shutting out the rest of the world have to be a movement of health for a three. So they're going to need some reflection time. They're going to need some quiet time. They're going to need to, to stop and sit and meditate, and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, and they need to pair that, Clint, with trust, namely trust in another person. Mm -hmm. When a three goes to turn inward, Every three that's listening to this needs to reflect intentionally who is the person or people who I will invest trust in, who I will be vulnerable with. Because I don't know that if you're a three, it's possible for you to just suddenly become self-reflective. I think that you're going to need people surrounding you. Uh, some of that's going to be an accountability. Hey, have you thought... Have you paused at all to think about why you're doing this? Some of that is going to be not accountability, but support, emotional support. No, 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 no. It's going to be okay. Yes, it hurts. The road has another turn up ahead. Just keep on going. And so I do think you need to, right from the start, identify who are the people that you're going to be vulnerable with. Because if you cannot do that, you're not going to be able to stay the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other, I think there, another approach for threes is, is somewhat twofold. Threes tend to be obsessed with success, but is it fair to say, Michael, they often haven't defined what that means? Again, this idea that they're looking for it out there, it's not internally motivated in the sense that they'll know when they get it because they'll just look for what the next step is. So for a three... One of the opportunities is sit down and think about what does success look like on, on this board that I'm on or in this job that I have or in a relationship or a task. What does success look like? And then to back up 
and say, and who am I whether I get there or not? What does that success or lack of it in that particular aspect have to do with me as a person? Am, am I tied to that? Is my identity wrapped up in these results that I've listed? And again, for three, it begins to introduce the idea that there's a person living under the, um, the drive to be the best, to perform, and that there's someone in there that is worthy outside of the accomplishments that person might be able to, to pull off. Right, and the same word that applies to twos applies to threes, maybe in spades, and that is that threes have to stop. Mm -hmm. You have to stop. This idea of silence that you've already talked about, Clint, is part of that. The idea, whether that's a vacation, and this isn't really the leave the house vacation kind of moment, but whether that just means being home in your space with email and texting and all of the communication stuff turned off so that you're unfindable, or if that looks like you sitting down in a quiet place with, a, with nothing but a pen and paper and you commit to stick through it for 30 minutes, uh, it, it really requires you recognizing that if it's just you in a room, there's somebody there. It's not the work that you bring with you. It's not the experiences you're having. It's not the efficiencies that you're pursuing. The three has to have time, just sheer time, to be in that space so that they're reminded that there's a person there. Yeah, and it's tough for threes. We, we talked about this early in the, the podcast, early in the Enneagram series. America loves threes we're capitalist, we're materialist, we're let's do the next thing, let's go bigger, let's go better, let's be impressive. That's addictive to a three. And so unplugging from that is essential for the three. To have a, a day, uh, to have a moment, to have structured times where a three says, I am not going to perform. I'm not going to work. I'm I, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold myself back and, and give myself some time is just absolutely essential. Um, another a couple of other things that a three can do, I think helpful. If you're a three out there and you're thinking I would like to find a way forward, here's a couple of ideas. Um, join something you can't lead. Be, be a part of a group that you're never going to lead. Um, be as I think you used the phrase last week, Michael, one of the bozos on the bus. Join a national organization and get their mailings and read their stuff, but don't try to climb the ladder. Just stay on the bottom rung. And like the ones, sometimes a three can benefit from uh, trying something that they won't master. A, a three can benefit a lot from not being the best at something or picking something that in no way benefits them at all, that, that has no chance of promoting them in their circle. A, an obscure hobby, a, a strange practice, but, but a three can really do themselves some good from finding something that isn't tied to their idea of success and that they just learn to enjoy. Yeah, I think that there's a resonance there with what we said to ones, Clint, that 
there's a little bit of antidote to the three in freedom, in recognizing that climbing the ladder, succeeding, performing is not the path towards integration, but rather letting go, uh, having a little bit more whimsy, being willing to try stuff and fail, that is the place where the three is going to start experiencing new forms of life and even experiencing their own self. Because, by the way, uh, you know, surprise for everybody, the, the three, um, when they look inward, is not the person who is as successful as they want to be, right? We're all just human. And so the freedom of recognizing, oh, yeah, I'm just another bozo on the bus, that's healthy. That's a good thing. Yeah, and I think the place a three might be able to start, Michael, is to literally sit down and make a list. What wouldn't I do to succeed? In other words, I wouldn't be dishonest. I wouldn't steal. I wouldn't violate these barriers. So for the three, that list represents some hard boundaries that success isn't worth. And, and by starting there, a three begins to get the idea that they have some internal things that guide them. They have some principles. They, they begin to move into those ideas of the six, that, that these are things that are worthy despite what they might gain for me if I broke them. It's worth towing the line in these areas of my life, regardless of how much success lived on the other side of it. And I think that can be a good starting exercise for a three. Absolutely. Well, I think, Clint, that leads us to type four. Yeah. Um, our last one here today and type four, again, remember that type four can be a little melancholy. They kind of hang out in a, a glass half empty kind of place. And so what they benefit from is some of the idealism some of the professionalism, some of the drivenness of the one. And so type four tends to navigate toward type one when they're healthy. They benefit from the one's clarity, their sense of purposefulness and action. And, and they can learn a lot from the ones who get things done and don't waver much. The, self, the, the ones bring a tremendous amount of self-discipline that can be hugely beneficial to the four. Yeah, that word self-discipline, the word that I think of, Clint, is agency. Mm -hmm. The four needs to live into the idea that they have agency. And let me just say a word to fours here quick. This is a moment for fours that is incredibly painful because you are, have been attuned to the darkness. You've been attuned to those human emotions and suffering that for many people they're experiencing right now in the greatest contrast that they've ever seen. But fours, you have agency. In other words, the stuff that's happening in our world right now is not just going to drive you to your knees and there's nothing that you can do but wallow and, and live in the pain. Fours, you can do stuff. You can live into this one and you can make a plan right now, literally. You can get a piece of paper and you can make a plan and you can go through with that plan. And in many ways, that's what the world needs at this moment, is people who've already traveled the pain that people are experiencing right now and who can become guides through it and to say, oh, no, 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 listen, yes, it's dark. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's full of anxiety. 
but there's a way out. We just have to live into it. And I think that a four needs to be mindful that you can do stuff and that you shouldn't be uh, wrapped up and trapped by that melancholy. Yeah, I think maybe the, the difficult first step for a four is that idea that, that you don't need, you, you, you don't serve anyone by being stuck, by, by feeling worthless, by, you, you don't need to be miserable, you don't deserve to suffer. None of those things are yours by some sort of divine decree, and it's okay to leave that orbit. Um, you don't have to have things the worst. Other people have genuine struggles, and if you can, if you can enter those, if you can give some true passion, compassion to other people's issues, then you will find a balance in addressing your own. And so um, twos, I'm sorry, fours um, have a lot of work to do in this internal dialogue, not because they don't do it, Michael, but I think because they overdo it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that some of the fours um, movement towards healthiness, that intentional act, needs to look like uh, you sitting down and recognizing that the emotions that you feel, the, the need that you have to separate and be different from others, that that's not the thing that defines you. Fours need to remember that redeeming word, that you are beloved and special. You were created without some sort of glaring weakness or some sort of glaring deformity that needs repaired. No, you in this state are God's beloved. And so when you find yourself creating drama, when you find yourself passing along gossip, when you find yourself opening up Facebook again to share that whatever post that you shouldn't share, that is the moment for you to practice awareness, to say, I'm going to be present in this moment and recognize that I don't need to live outside myself. I don't need to create drama. I don't need to be separate and, and uh, in some ways try to create an identity that is, how do you say, novel. I don't need to be different so that I can have meaning. Instead, you can recognize that you are part of the whole and that the whole needs you because you bring uh, real gifts to it. Yeah, and so if you're a four and, again, you, you feel like you struggle with that sense of heaviness, that's where some of the practices of the one can be helpful. And, you know, fours... Get out a piece of paper and a pencil, make a list, and get the things on that list done. And if, if that list has one or two or three things on it to start with, that's fine. But make yourself get those things crossed off by the end of the day. That discipline, that sense of practical application is really good for a four. The other thing I think that you might be able to do is to um to to use a list what do i what do i see that's worthy in people what am i grateful for i i think michael that the fours can truly benefit from just paying attention again looking outside of self looking outside and making a gratitude list a, a joy list um, thinking about the people in your circle and writing down 
the things that you truly admire and appreciate and love about those people. Th this kind of positivity is important for a four and I think will help keep them, um, keep them grounded and keep them on a good path. Yeah, if you're a four, it's likely that you are attuned to beauty in some form, beauty of nature, uh, possibly beauty of art, uh, possibly that's music or painting or whatever. The temptation of the four is to appreciate beauty and then to use it as a frame for how not beautiful you are, for how it expresses better the reality of life than you do. Here's the invitation. Can you turn to those places and can you look at them and enjoy them for their own sake? Can you pull up the artist that you love listening to and can you enjoy that music without it being a judgment against your own creativity? Can you read that poet who expresses things in a way that's meaningful for you without that turning into a way of defining yourself against it? <laughs> it can be spiritually renewing to simply just drink from the metaphor, from the beauty, from the circumstances that surround us and for that to be where it stops. And that's, that's something a four could do right now. Yeah, and I think another good place to start for a four, and it will be difficult, is on that paper to make a list, things that I appreciate, things that I like about myself, mm -hmm. and not about my uniqueness, not, not about how I'm different from other people, but things that I admire or value in my own person. And that would be a tough list for a four to make, but I think it's a good place to start. Another tough exercise, but I think a helpful one, is fours spend, and, and this will likely get uncomfortable quickly, spend some time looking in the mirror. Simply looking at yourself with the question, do I see something I like? Do I see something good? And, and as you become comfortable with maybe that first effort is mere seconds, but as you become more comfortable seeing the reflection of yourself and seeing good in it, you will have the opportunity to em embrace that healthy thing that, that uh, releases your gifts and, and frees some of your insight into the world instead of focusing it back on yourself. This applies, I think, to fours. It applies to all of the numbers that have come before and will come after, quite frankly. You'll see that a common thread throughout all of these numbers that we've talked about, Clint, is awareness. It's a awareness of your present self and its intentionality to resist the ruts that you've made and to live into a new freedom. And whatever practice helps you do that is a great practice. So for some of us, that's maybe getting uh, a bracelet that you wear. And it, every time you look at that bracelet, you commit to be mindful of your practices, of your, to be aware of where you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Maybe, maybe for some of us, that is something more simple. Maybe you think that that's a thing that you put on your mirror. Maybe it's a psalm or a quote or something that's going to sit right there that's going to remind you. It's a bookmark that you put in your favorite book right now. It's a thing you put on the dash of your car. I mean, Clint, that list could go on and on and on. Whatever practices you think would help reground you in that integrative self are the practices that you should pursue.
Yeah, and I think where the Enneagram helps us in all of that, Michael, is the idea that there is value under or, or beneath our stuff. That the inherent fear we all have is that if we dig to the core, we won't like what we see there. And I think the Enneagram, particularly through a Christian lens, is that the image of God is deep within us. And though it gets covered up by our own stuff, if we're willing to look past that stuff, what we find will not be emptiness, but truth. And truth will allow us to embrace peace and joy and, and grace and mercy and kindness and all the wonderful things that that the Spirit of God uh, is seeking to give to us. Well, friends, whether you are one through four or five through nine, we hope that in this conversation you've been encouraged and we hope that you might even now be thinking of ways that you could start implementing this into your own spiritual practices. But however it finds you, uh, we want to express our love and care for you along this journey. And as two people who are journeying with you, I think we can both speak to its difficulty. It can be hard to look in the mirror. It can be hard to try to make new patterns. And yet in doing so, we're living to Christ's promise. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Yeah, growth is always a challenge, but it is always worth it. So we hope you're well. Be safe. Uh, let us know if there's anything you need. And thanks for listening.